Welcome inside the bubble. Mike and Micah here with you again to break down some more of these NBA games. Um, it's been a fun, a very fun bubble where we've had ups and downs, twists and turns. And Micah, I've just been so excited that four games in, I could truly say that it feels like the playoffs. There was a little bit of worry in the beginning, but after the first two games, we came on the pod and said, yeah, 100%, we're starting to feel like this is playoffs. After these next these last two games, I'm all the way locked in. It feels like the playoffs. Every game feels like a big uh, game. Every shot feels like a game-changing shot. Every win feels like a series-changing win, and we'll get into it. Obviously, um, we've had some big games over the week that series have went one way or another. So I want to start with the West and the Los Angeles Lakers. The number one seed in the West. After game one, everybody was like, oh, this is more of the same what we saw in the seeding games. But since that moment of game one, the Lakers have turned it on. It's like they flipped the switch and they understand it's the playoffs and everybody's starting to hit. Everybody's starting to uh, come together. Everybody's starting to just look like that number one seed that we saw completely dominate throughout the regular season. Blazers, on the other hand, Dame Lillard is going to be out for game five uh, mm. and Chris Haynes just tweeted out that if, even if the Blazers win, he's probably going to be up for game six because he cannot extend his knee, bringing his bubble MVP season, if you want to say, so close. He was amazing, but the Lakers were just a better team overall. There's nothing you could do about it. And without Trevor Ariza or nobody to stop LeBron James, we've seen what he's been able to do. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, after the first two games, it was 1-1. But we did say we think the Lakers are still going to be able to take this. The Lakers are still going to dominate. You saw games three and game four. What are your feelings on the Lakers right now? I think the Lakers finally got into their groove, and they're playing like the team that they should have been playing like all along. Um, throughout the whole bubble up until the last two games against the Blazers, they've just been slow. They've just been a step slow. They haven't been hitting the shots they usually hit. Um, you know, the guys that you bring Brown around, and even AD to a certain point, and honestly even Brown to a certain point, weren't playing to the standard that they usually do. But I think this Blazers series, and especially losing that game one in the fashion they have, you know, the fashion that they lost, it was kind of just a wake-up call, bro. It was like, if we let the Blazers stick around, stick around long enough, what's going to happen is Dame Lillard is going to take over that series. And I think that's the, was the, was like, you know, the worst-case scenario for the Lakers. And it was something they absolutely had to avoid. And what you're seeing is, I mean, you're just seeing better basketball from the Lakers. They're making their shots. Um, you know, LeBron's always going to get them an opportunity to win, and we saw that even when they were losing. You know, LeBron was kind of coasting, but his pass numbers were always there. You know, even when they were missing shots, he would still get around 9 and 10 assists a game. The problem was he wasn't as aggressive, and you're seeing kind of like, you know, as a whole team, they're getting a little bit more aggressive. Um, AD has finally found his groove. I know he was out with back spasms, but in 17 minutes, he put up 18 points. <laughs> That's amazing. He put up 18 and 5. And, you know, five assists in the little, you know, the minimal time that he played. Um, AD is probably the most important piece outside of LeBron. And he leads the Lakers in every, uh, you know, stat category except assists. He has to be on. And you're starting to see him get back into his groove. He's starting to be more aggressive in the paint. It's leading to other opportunities for shooters at this, that, and the third. And once again, you have to play the Lakers balance. You have to play them even. You can't key in on a guy like AD. Or you can't key in a guy on a guy like LeBron. Because if you do, they have shooters that are hitting now. Um, I finally seen Danny Green hit important shots, uh, you know, down to like, you know, as long as, you know, as the game is going, which is really important. Kyle Kuzma is starting to score a little more. These are all things that are very, very important. KCP. KCP is doing the thing that, you know, he's kind of been doing 
all year for the most part. He's trying to get back into his rhythm, and that's probably one of the biggest things we always thought was like, you know, is KCP going to be that guy that when it matters, is he going to play at his best? And you're starting to see them get into that groove. Um, the Lakers win this series now. Um, even if Dame was playing, I don't know if they won the next game. Uh, I think the Lakers have found the formula to beat them. And it's unfortunate. Dame has been playing his ass off. But, you know, as it goes, LeBron, when he gets, you know, when he gets in the control and he gets in the driver's seat of the series, it's over. So, uh, you know, I'm glad. I'm happy the Blazers put out this effort. But LeBron James is LeBron James, and the Lakers are going to go on to the next round. Simple as that. Yeah, so I think the biggest difference between the seeding games, game one of the first round, and the last three games is we saw a difference between passive LeBron versus aggressive LeBron. Mm-hmm. When LeBron isn't looking to find other people, and I mean, when I say aggressive LeBron, LeBron always is going to be finding people. LeBron is always going to be uh, getting high number assists, eight, nine, ten assists a game. But in the last couple of games, he's just said, you know what? Nobody on this court can guard me right now, and I'm going to bully you. <laughs> he's bullying Gary Trent. As much as Carmelo's trying his best to, uh, to play defense, he's not, he's not going to be able to stop LeBron. There's mm-hmm. nobody on that Blazers team that can stop LeBron. Similar to AD, when AD was like, wait, Nurkic is slow. Whiteside mm-hmm. isn't, isn't on my level. I can bully both of these guys. Once they were able to do that, the Blazers stood no chance. Hopefully this is a wake-up call for the Lakers where they're going into every series. And LeBron, obviously, we know he's going to turn up in the playoffs, but he's just each time being like, well, I'm going to be able to dominate. I know, I know that for a fact. Nobody's going to be able to stop me. So I'm going to go ahead and score 35 if I want to. I'm going to put up 40 points. I'm going to have 22 points in the first half. And when he does that, the Lakers are unstoppable. There's no team that's going to be able to beat them. Blazers, I think they just they ran out of gas. Mm-hmm. Since they got into the bubble, <laughs> all these games, the playoff games have been playoff games. So you're talking about over, what, three weeks now of straight – or no, more than three weeks, a month of playoff games. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where you're like, man, I am just so tired. Like, Dames, his, his shots were coming up short just because he has no more legs. He's been scoring 40, 50 points, bubble MVP. At a point, you're just like, man, this team's just going to overpower us. And that's what mm-hmm. you see – uh, with uh, with the Blazers, but shout out to them for an amazing season. They obviously are going to be back next year, and that's going to be something fun um, to watch. On the other hand, a series that I think has completely flipped, and in our last podcast, I said I'm switching from Clippers in seven to Mavs in seven because I do believe that this Mavericks-Clippers series was going seven. Yeah. We saw what Luka did to the Clippers. Without Kristaps Porzingis, Without any, without um, without really any number two, he was able to beat Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams, able to go ahead and beat that team off of a last-second shot after being down twenty points in the second quarter. They were able to storm back and beat the Clippers. I know it doesn't mean that the Mavericks are going to be <laughs> are going to go ahead and. When uh, when the series, even though I picked them, everybody still has the any media member you talk to still has the Clippers going ahead and advancing. And with Porzingis being out tonight, that adds an extra layer to it. Whether mm-hmm. or not he'll be able to come back for Game Six or Game Seven, that's to be determined. But I still think this series is going to be close, and I think tonight's game is going to be extremely close. And I think the Mavs still have a chance of winning with the way that Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway, um, and all those guys have been playing for have been playing for the Mavericks. So what do you think that the Mavericks can do with these last three games of the series? You know, I really think the Mavericks are 
you know, they're coming along at, you know, they're coming on at the right time, I should say. Um, And it's really one of those things where it's like, I still do believe, so I guess I'll just say this first. I still do believe the Clippers, you know, edge them out in seven, but they're just like the Clippers. I don't know if they get out of round two. And it's more so, I don't even know it's because, and I'm kind of torn. I don't know if it's because the Clippers are playing that bad, which they kind of are, or the Mavs are actually, you know, sneaky, very, very good. And I'm starting to think it's a little bit more that the Mavs are, you know, very good. Um, the Clippers, in my opinion, they're just like, they're all over the place. And even having all those guys, I haven't seen them play a complete game yet. And it was something that I mentioned, and I don't know if I mentioned it on my pod or not, but every time we've seen the Clippers look bad, everybody's been healthy and everybody's been able to play. And it's kind of interesting kind of just, you know, looking at it like, is this team really built for success as much as they are on paper? Um and that's something we're going to see going down the line. But as far as the Mavs, if they win tonight, it they're in a great possibility to win this series um, in the seven, in my opinion. Because I don't know if they win two straight. Um, and I don't. It's, it's up in the air if they win tonight because Porzingis is hurt. But if they win tonight, they're in a great uh, position to win again at the end of the week or you know going into next week as far as the game seven goes. My thing with the Clippers is though, I still do believe in their depth. As bad as they played, as bad as Paul George's play, I still think he has a decent game in him, and that's kind of enough to get them over the hump because literally if Paul George hasn't, is not stinking it up, they win a couple of these games. Um, he's just been so, like, historically bad, um, like literally historically bad. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's record-breaking how bad he's been, and they've just been losing. Um, I think that's not necessarily the norm even for him and his playoff resume. And I still have the Clippers in seven, but the Mavs are – Every time I see them, it just, they get another piece. You know, first it was, okay, what is Porzingis going to do? Porzingis produces. Next is, is Luka will be able to step up. Luka stepped up. Now their bench is getting into it, which is really, really scary for a team like the Mavs, who I didn't necessarily think much of their bench. But when we look at it and starting to see how these pieces fit together on the court, they're really starting to get a little deadly, I would say. So, um, yes, they've been playing really hot Trey Burke. I don't know if he ever get 10 or 14 out of Trey Burke again. But you might be able to get a five no, but, out of but a that, twelve. No, night, but like. that's a, that's the thing. We said that in game two. Exactly. Also. We said, eh, you know, you're probably like we said it in the podcast. It was like, yeah, you're probably not going to get that type of uh, that type of output from mm-hmm. Seth Curry, Trey Burke, Boban, and, and all of them. Again, and again, they did again. the same thing again. So I'm looking at it at this point that it's no longer like, oh, this is a fluke thing, but the system that they cultivated, and we see a similar system in Golden State where mm-hmm. players that may not have produced as well offensively in their system are able to produce offensively. We talked about it in our group chat where we said Draymond Green on any other team in the NBA is not as efficient yeah. as he is on the Golden State Warriors. Andrew Wiggins, the minute he got into Golden State, and it wasn't with Steph, it wasn't with Clay, it wasn't with Draymond, he became more efficient as a player just because of the system that they have. Obviously, it didn't translate to win because he's not that good mm-hmm. of a player, but you see what happens when you're able to go ahead and produce on that um, on that level. And the Mavericks, it's been said over and over again, in the history of the NBA, this has the, been the most efficient offense ever. Most, more efficient than all those Warriors teams, more efficient than any, any NBA team that we've seen. This Mavericks team has been the most efficient offensively. And we've seen it time and time again that they're able to go ahead and produce that. But on the other hand, we also saw why they're the seventh seed. And they can't close out games. They were up by 12 points with three minutes left in the game. Mm-hmm. And in a second, it was all gone. You can't, 
advance and you can't be that next level type of team if you can't close out. My only thing is I'm going to say just try to hold game five. Try to keep it close. Don't If, if they're not blown out and Kristoff is able to go game six, I think they'll be able to uh, force a game seven. But if they are get demoralized, if the Clippers come out and it's uh, similar to game uh, what, what was it? Game four? No, game three of the that Lakers series where mm-hmm, yeah. the Lakers just completely dominated and everybody at that point was like, yeah, this series is basically done. If they can at least keep it close, they will have a chance to force a game seven. But it's going to be tough without Kristaps. But I am not going to doubt Luka. I'm not going to doubt Seth Curry, who is playing, obviously, with the vendetta and does not like, <laughs> does not like Paul George <laughs> in the slightest. So it, it's going to be another fun game. I think these two teams actually like have real disdain for each other, and that's something that is fun to see in uh, the NBA. Where it's starting to get a little a little bit chippy uh, on the floor. I want to see more Boban because even though he tires out and not up, able to move a lot on defense, offensively he's been able to actually help him out mm-hmm. a lot. Just with the little bunny hooks, with the offensive rebounds, and getting more Boban can never hurt um, in this series. But Clippers, a lot of questions. This is not a team right now that is going to the NBA Finals. It's just I don't even know if they're going to the Conference Finals. <laughs> the way that they're constructed right – yeah, the way that they're constructed right now, they're not. Um, but let's move on to that 3-6 matchup. We were both big proponents of the Denver Nuggets. Um, we we liked the Utah Jazz, but we said that this was a, a pivotal series for them because it's do you keep them together or are you going to break them up? The case right now is keep them together. Mm-hmm. The way that Donovan Mitchell is playing and Rudy Gobert are playing, it's beautiful. The Mike Conley we are seeing is the Grizz- Grizzlies Mike Conley. The Nuggets got blown out of game two and game three, but did show out in game four and just barely lost. Donovan Mitchell was just out of his mind. I still think that this can be a series. Um, Mike yeah. Malone has to be able to fix up his lineups. I don't like the way that he's uh, playing some of his guys. And Michael Porter Jr., as much as we love him and we think that he's going to be amazing in this league, he has to be better defensively. He just looks lost. And I, I think that's a detriment to Mike Malone not playing him in the regular season. He wasn't hurt earlier uh, when it was with fans in the uh, in the arenas. He wasn't mm-hmm. hurt. He was just a rookie. He didn't play him enough. And now he looks lost out there. This team, I've never seen a team not be able to defend the pick and roll. It's so bad. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert do the same thing every single time. Gobert comes, Gobert comes up to pick to either get a switch onto MPJ or uh, Jokic. He's going to drive into the lane. If not, he's dumping it off to Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert slams the ball. If not, he's taking it out to Mike Conley or Jordan Clarkson, who has re, um, re-emerged as a good player, and they're hitting threes. Uh, side note with Jordan Clarkson. I think Clarkson is starting to find his role as mm-hmm. not – I don't want to be premature and say a Lou Williams type, but he is that Lou Williams type of guy where he's just going to come off the bench and score for you. And he's never going to be a starter. He's never going to really be an all-star. But if you can have him as your solid six or seven men where he's coming off the bench and just giving you buckets, he's in the perfect row. I think starting for the Cavs and the Lakers, all that stuff, I don't think that was a fit for him. I think now where he's in Utah, he's backing up Donovan Mitchell. He'll play clutch minutes, but he's coming off the bench sometimes and he's going to go ahead and give you 15 to 20 points. He's in the perfect spot. So the Jazz are clicking on every cylinder. But if the Nuggets can win today, I still think they have a chance of winning the series. Yeah, and I've, you know, I think this is the one series. You know, we kind of missed the ball on the uh, the paces and heat as far as going to seven. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But this series, I still think is going to seven. I I'm just, I'm still a little bit torn on on you know 
who's winning it. I, I do want to say the Nuggets because I just I think if they put it together, they're obviously a better team than the Jazz. But it's the one thing and the one common thing that we kept bringing up. It's just, you know, the idea of experience, playoff experience. Everything that you mentioned about, you know, Michael Porter Jr. playing defense down the stretch, um, you know, just things like that. It takes experience to kind of get into that. And, yes, this is the playoffs, and he should have got a lot of regular season experience. But what you're realizing right now is this is still a young team kind of just going out there and just winging it. Outside of Paul Millsap, it's it's a young starting five, and that's kind of who's going to, you know, take you know be the driving force. Um, Michael Porter Jr., he's not playing a lot of minutes because of his defense, but he's also not taking a lot of shots. This is like, what, maybe the entire series he hasn't taken over, like, maybe, what, 10 or 12 shots? And yes, yep. it, it's he's you know it's been an efficient kind of scoring, and you like seeing that out of him that he's not he's never going to force the ball into the cup. But the problem is he was your most explosive you know most explosive player in the bubble. Forcing when he finally yeah when he when he finally got it together he was forcing it and it was still going down at a high clip. So I think you kind of had to turn him out and maybe you get him a lot of first you know first and third quarter minutes and don't put him in a lot of high pressure situations. But I mean, I don't. I think you kind of have to roll him out there a little more. I don't want to see him at under twenty five minutes. Um, and maybe that means getting, you know, getting a little bit less minutes to some of your guys. I mean, Jamal Murray. I mean, yes, he's he's gonna play like forty minutes in playoff time. But you can kind of mix him in there as long, you know, as far as Monte Morris goes. You can get him in there when Paul Mosap is trying to play at a, you know, in that tall lineup and stuff like that. Get him, get, get him out there with, like, your best defender so he can exactly. go ahead and, and stand in a corner. Exactly, and I think those opportunities are there for him. So I think Mike Malone is kind of realizing, and, you know, you don't want your back against the wall to finally have realizations because sometimes it's just when it's too late to even do anything about it. Um, But I think the Nuggets win this game, and I think the series still goes to seven. Um, But as far as the Jazz go, just touching on them real quick. Man, they just uh, – I mean, we all know Donovan Mitchell is – he's that guy right now. He's – putting himself in that top four shooting guard category and, you know, top three shooting guard category realistically. And he's kind of just separating himself from guys that we used to put him in conversations with. But this team, they're playing like a well machine. And and you mentioned Jordan Clarkson, and I think the Lou Williams comparison is perfect. I mean, playing 27 minutes a game, if he's on that night and you can get 24 points out of him with, you know, a decent uh, game from shooting and stuff like that from range, then that's the perfect role for him, and that's something that's going to put this Jazz team above teams like the Nuggets because Joe Ingles is not getting you buckets. He scored zero points. And, of course, he's going to bring you defense, but there has to be somebody that, you know, fills in that explosive scoring role, and I thought that was going to be the one thing the Jazz didn't have. They're a great team, but they're not explosive. But when you're getting 27 points off the bench or 24 points off the bench from just one guy alone, that's pretty explosive. That's going to help you win a lot of games. Um, Michael Conley is playing great. Rudy Gobert is always doing his thing. Um... And I think the one thing that's going to hurt the Jazz maybe is still that explosive scoring. If they're not hitting from range that night, and it's just Donovan Mitchell, they're not going to win that game. So um, I would still say the Nuggets in seven. But the Jazz are really showing themselves, even if they lose this series. I think they bought themselves another couple years of trying yep. to make this thing work. Uh, get some more scorers around you. You can still have guys like Joe Ingles, you know, come in in high-pressure situations for the defense. But you got to have more bench scorers. you got to have more guys you can rely to off the bench that aren't just going to put up donuts for you. Um, I think they bought themselves time, though, and I'm just happy to see it because the Jazz, you know, they're, they're a good unit. They just didn't have it to go on together. But seeing this, I, I think they bought themselves time. They definitely bought themselves some time, and this is a team that, you know, go ahead and say, yeah, I want to move forward with. Um, I just want to quickly just add to that before we move on to <clears throat> 4-5. Uh, 
is we have we see that missing Gary Harrison, uh, Will Barton mm-hmm. right now. Like that's that's the number one thing it's with big, the Nuggets. Yeah. The Nuggets have are are a deep team and have been a deep team, but right now they're not bringing in their their fifteen twenty points. They're not able to bring in their defense on the other end too, where they can go ahead and give Mitchell some fits sometimes. But without these two players, they're kind of struggling here. But I still don't think that should be an excuse for this Nuggets team uh, to at least extend it to six games. And mm-hmm. so even though even though you you lose in five and you don't have all your players, I still think you're disappointed if you lose in five, especially after how you played um, to start off the the restart of the league. So you have to take this to six at least, and hopefully your guys are good to go by then. Um, I know Gary Harris was uh, upgraded from – out to doubtful for game mm-hmm. four. So maybe he gets another upgrade to get questionable for this game and a probable for uh, game six or game seven. But if you can extend it and you can get all your guys back by the second round, it's a totally different conversation. Um, moving on from them, we got four five OKC and Houston. We kind of wrote OKC off based off of seeing how they played the first two games and wasn't really competitive. Um, Rockets were in total control and then OKC just comes back and is in total control the next two games. Mm-hmm. And it's what we talked about at the beginning of the bubble where we said you are going to see the good and the bad of the Rockets. When the threes are falling, when the threes are hitting, they look unstoppable. But when they're not, it's a tough thing to watch. And that's why you said, Micah, you said this, um, I think maybe our first podcast, or the podcast after they either they beat the Lakers or the Bucks, whatever the team was, you yeah. said – that this is not something that you can sustain over seven-game series. And even though they may advance against OKC, that doesn't mean it's going to work against the Los Angeles Lakers. So what do you think of these last two games with OKC versus the Rockets? Man, um, and this is one of the hardest series that you kind of have to look at because it's a team, you know, like the Rockets on paper, that they they should, at all intents and purposes, they should be winning this series in six. But it's that style, and it always comes up. Every time we talk about the Rockets, it's that style. Is that style going to win you these games? And it won in the first two games. And I thought, personally, I thought Russell Westbrook being out would actually be to a detriment of the Rockets, but they found a way to get out to a, you know, a quick jump in the series. But you're kind of, you know, you're starting to see what happens when James Harden doesn't have balance and his team doesn't have, honestly, and it's crazy to think about it, when they don't have Russ out there. It's just like... It, it's the same thing that killed them in when they had CP3. It's the same kind of motifs. The same thing keeps coming up and coming up, and it's hard not to mention it every single time. They have to find a way to diversify their offense. Right now, it's it's either you drive or you're shooting a three. And when your best driving player is out, you're just missing a key element to that game. Yes, I mean, there's going to be guys that's always going to fill in for scoring with the Rockets. They put up the most shots ever. Literally, like ever, they're, they're gonna shoot. The, they're gonna shoot it. They're always gonna shoot it, and they're always gonna score. But this is also, you know, there's still some elements missing from that team that makes it viable for them to even get to the conference finals again. I don't know if they get there. I'm right now. I don't know if they really get out of this series. I mean, you hope Russ comes back and he's explosive and he's doing things. And I think if they, I think what towards the later end of the series, he'll probably get back in, and you know, possibly a game six or a game seven. But the way the Thunder are playing right now, as balanced as it is, and, you know, as much as, like, it's just, like, 
they're just kind of going out there and just playing ball, and then they just end up winning. It's working. Um, I guess the way to beat the Rockets is just play balanced basketball because I don't know. I don't know if they stop this. I don't know if the Rockets win. You know, uh, this next game. I, I don't know if they really have the firepower to keep it going. Um, even with a Russ in there, I mean, we saw we saw my boy Dort kind of put the clamps on Harden. And it's like, oh well, yeah. And it's like, well, all right, well, if this is happening, then what's next? Because if you take Harden out of the Rockets, then they're uh, they're they're not they're not anything. Um, once again, the Thunder had to be shouted out for the fact that they just come they, to the game. They every fight, game, man. They just, yes, and they just they won it. I feel like they won it more than the Rockets, and that might be the prevailing factor. It might be something as simple as that. Sometimes that happens in sports. Um, on paper, I still think, and I still like the Rockets to win this series, but. If I called it in five or six because of firepower, it's going to seven now because it's just a CB3-led team apparently in 2020 is not going to give up. So, I mean, good for them. Shout out to Dennis Schroeder. I see that 30-piece. Uh, you're you're always going to be that guy as long as you're the sixth man. So, I, I just like seeing that. But the Thunder, man, I mean, if they can keep, you know, bringing this kind of energy to the Rockets, you know, and stopping them at their game, then they'll be in the second round. Yeah, so – with uh with Dort, that is something that good organizations know how to find guys and put them in the right position. <clears throat> we Every saw time. we saw uh Dennis Schroeder. We saw what he was able to do. Schroeder was uh, a decent guy in in Atlanta. Like he, he was trying to find his way. He'll have good games. He'll have bad games. Boom gets to OKC. He slots in perfectly. He knows where he fits in. He knows where his role is. Dort. I had never heard of Dort um, until we got into the bubble. And this is a guy mm-hmm. that's producing and now shutting down one of the best offensive players in the NBA. And this is this is more than um, this is more than uh, uh, just oh, it's a fluke thing. A lot of players cannot stop James Harden. Like this, mm-hmm. this is this is a facts. A lot of players cannot stop James Harden. So to have the amount of stats that he's had, where he's been able to disrupt them, that's amazing. I still think the Rockets win the series just based off of talent alone and how they're able to produce um how they're able to produce when everything is working on all cylinders. Yeah. Apparently Russell Westbrook practiced today with the Rockets, so you can get him back tomorrow, which is gonna bring give him an extra boost. But this this Thunder team is they just keep fighting. That's that's what they're known for. They just fight and fight and fight. And am I gonna eat my words? Maybe. I I, I still <laughs> I still think that uh, the Rockets have that extra step that they can take, but I, I don't want to say it because I've always come up as the Harden hater and stuff like that. But if you can't get out the first round going up against CP3, Steven Adams, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Shy, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care if Dork. it's with, I don't care if it's with or without Russ. Like, I think if we go like player for player, it's a pretty similar team with. Rockets obviously having the better player in mm-hmm. uh in Harden being the best player in all of those series. And then you can go CP3, which is like oh, okay, he's a step down. He was an all-star this year, but he's not on Harden's level. PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon, like you have some players on your team. So Harden has to be able to come out the first round or else you you start getting those talks of hey, this he can't win. He can't win the big games when stuff gets tight. It's hard for him to do it and Mm-hmm. The, the excuse always was it was Golden State, and you don't have that this year. 
you don't have a Golden State this year. Yeah, you have well, LA. The Thunder in the first round. <laughs> yeah, but you can't go ahead and then now be like, oh, yeah, it's the Thunder. So they're going to have to make sure they're able to figure um, it all out. But th- that is a series that I am excited to watch, uh, game five and six at least. And hopefully we get a couple of game sevens in the first round. So we're going to move on to the Eastern Conference. One eight Bucks Magic. Not much I want to talk about here is just the Bucks are starting to mm-hmm. starting to uh, get it together. Uh, we we I mean I did at least I talked so much shit on Middleton uh, the last podcast scoring two points. It was fair though, bro. It was warranted. <laughs> I, I had to, but he he's been able to obviously show up and he's brought it back, scoring twenty points in his last two contests. Pat Connaughton has caught fire. Giannis has been able to slash the Bucks uh, defense throughout the whole series and. Now that the threes are starting to fall, this is when the Bucks look like the Bucks, and they look mm-hmm. unstoppable. Because if Giannis is able to get into the lane, if Connaughton, if Middleton, if Bledsoe, if uh, Williams, if all those guys are hitting their shots, how exactly can you stop them? And that's and that's the number one thing. The Bucks, the Magic don't have enough firepower to stop the Bucks, obviously. But the Magic, again, Vucevic, thirty-one points his last game. You get everybody back healthy, Isaac, Bamba, and everybody. Like, go ahead. Be be a fun little team. You're not not going to be able to make any significant noise anywhere, but you'll be a team that you can go ahead and um go ahead and be like, hey, I want to go ahead and watch them watch them play uh, as a Indiana type of team where they can be a spoiler one year or they can uh, win a couple of games one year. So I'm excited to see what comes from that Orlando Magic team. But what what do you think about the Bucks? I mean, yeah, the Bucks are playing. You know, the same thing with the Lakers. Almost they're playing as they should. This is what we expected out of the Bucks the entire time. Um, I did say they were probably going to drop one game from just being lax, and that turned out to be game one. But from there on, it's been Bucks in five. Whenever I've talked to anybody about it, um, they're too good of a team, too well coached of a team, too well led of a team. They have the possible two time MVP, just one Defensive Player of the Year. I guess we're breaking that now. Just one Defensive mm-hmm. Player of the Year. He, I mean, this is something that should be happening. Um, as you mentioned, when the Bucks get their shots off and they're playing their offense and their basketball, there's a reason they won the amount of games they won and still didn't finish the season. This team, you know, in the last two years, they won a, over 100-plus games for a reason. They're, they're nice. They're a great team. They're a great put-together team. It's just about are the guys around Giannis going to show up, and right now they are. Um, you know, as you mentioned for the, you know, as, uh, as you mentioned for the Magic, it is one of those things where they're not necessarily constructed to ever make a run. Not with this team, but they are constructed to be a sneaky seventh seed going forward, kind of in the position they are now, where if you have Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac healthy, I don't want to say this could change the series, and I still think the Bucks probably win in six. But you're getting a lot of interesting looks at, you know, what a tall team can do against the Bucks. Um, You know, different pressure, uh, you know, playing the wall that they tried. They played the wall in uh, the first game, but when you don't have the, per- uh, the person – excuse me, the personnel for the the wall to kind of uh, pick up the shots that are getting open and stuff like that, it's a little bit harder. Yep. They're not built for the the ideal wall, if you want to uh, say something like that. But this team, when they're healthy, is, you know, they're a pretty decent team. And I would expect them to be in playoff contention, especially in the East. They have no reason to drop below the eighth seed, uh, honestly, because the only team I can see jumping back in is the Wizards, and they were in the bubble, so... Um, this team going forward, I'm happy that they're here. It was always one of those things where it was kind of be a learning experience for the younger guys, mixing in some vet guys. Shout out to Terrence Ross. I see you still doing your thing. But the Bucks in five, this was expected. We can just move on from there. Yeah, I, I, not much to add there. 
Bucks look dominant. Can't wait for the next series <clears throat> against Miami, and it should be uh, definitely a fun one. So moving on from there, let's go to 2-7, another easy, clean sweep. Raptors were able to get it done, even without Kyle Lowry, 100 points from the bench. I mean, mm. I just didn't think that was, that was possible to happen, mm. but they did it. Um, the Nets, on the other hand, the next time the Nets touch the court, they will have Kevin Durant. They will have Kyrie Irving. They will have Spencer Dinwiddie. They will have Jared Allen. They will have mm-hmm. Karis LeBert. That mm-hmm. sounds like the most dangerous team in the East to me. At least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're right. It, it, it is going to be if you're a Nets fan, and obviously the sweep sucks. But in about two, in about what five, six months, we're we're talking about a totally different team. We're talking about oh, who, who's good? Who are they going to meet in the NBA Finals? Because that team is dangerous. So if you're a Nets fan, this sucks right now. But hey, you move on. Uh, what do you have on the Raptors next? I mean, I don't think I don't think we ever realistically thought that this series was anything more than a formality. Um, unfortunately, the Nets are not at full power, and as well as they played in that last seeding game coming into it, that was not sustainable. Um, the the Raptors are the best coached team in the NBA right now. If we're being honest, Nick Nurse was coach of the year. Yep, this team, they, I mean, we you know we're kind of just hashing points over and over again with this team, but. There's a reason they had the same record in the same amount of games without a top ah, – oh, I won't call him top five no more. We're going to talk about him. but <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about him, but a top a top-notch player in the NBA. Um, they're built for it, and this team is just going to continue to keep the ball rolling. Uh, this series coming up, Celtics and the Raptors, man, oh, man, that's I, – I wish it was split up a little bit because I don't want to see – I'd rather see this in the conference finals than what we possibly might get. But uh, this team, the Raptors, man, they're the Spurs of the East at this point. We can just kind of punch it in. They're a plug-and-play kind of team. That that whole organization is starting to become one of those, you know, one of those at the top, those top five organizations that you can just guarantee that they're always going to have some type of success. Um, Maybe it's not a finals, but they'll be in the playoffs and make a, a nice little run. Good for them. This was supposed to happen, you know, the Nets, they weren't supposed the, to be uh, the, the the real playoff start. The real yeah, playoff starts uh, now. Yeah, yeah, round two. Um, moving on, we got uh another. Well, the Bucks didn't sweep, but we got another sweep coming up after after this with Celtics taking care of the Sixers rather uh, mm-hmm. rather easily. Joel Embiid was able to ball out. Brett Brown is now fired. Um, mm-hmm. Celtics took care of business, looked amazing, but they are without Gordon Hayward now going into a Raptors series. What exact? Because we'll, we'll preview Celtics and uh, six uh, Celtics and uh, Raptors in our next uh, or maybe two podcasts away when we mm-hmm. preview round two. So I don't want to get into that. I want to focus on more of the Sixers here. If you're the GM of the Sixers right now, obviously you fired Brett Brown and your Elton Brand. What are you doing with the rest of the roster construction? <sighs> Man, um, well, I mean, first things first. I kind of don't know if they should have fired Brett Brown. I mean, it is a formality at this point that he he's kind of the fall guy for it because he is the head coach, but it's a little bit something deeper with how this team is constructed. Um, If it was me, I'm going the extreme route. I'm tired of being a, a four seed or a five seed, and I'm looking to make a big splash somewhere, even if that means getting into a baby rebuild and just playing the eight seed because realistically without Ben Simmons – and just Joel Embiid and maybe some other pieces if they trade Simmons, they're still an eight seed or a seven seed in the East. The East is not a uber competitive, you know, conference that they will probably miss out and be at the bottom of the barrel. 
So I think you might actually want to, you know, move on from Ben Simmons. And it, it seems kind of crazy, but if you're going to put somebody around Joel Embiid, I think they have to be more of a perimeter threat. This team mm-hmm. is this team is very focused on scoring inside with, you know, has, you know, they're supposed to have shooters on the outside. But the guys that they have as shooters on the outside don't necessarily shoot the ball well. Um, I'm happy, you know, I'm glad you're seeing guys like Shake Milton step up a little more. Um, but there's issues here. Josh Richardson still cannot score the he cannot score in a conventional way, I should say. Um, he got to the line a lot, which was good for him last game, you know. But he's still going for like two for ten. He's never been a great shooter. Um Al Horford, what are you getting out of him at this age with that contract? And I think Tobias Harris is a guy that he can do a lot of great things for you. And I love seeing how tough he was that last game with that scary fall kind of coming back and playing a pretty good game. But it's too little too late. Your damage is already done. Um, Going forward, the Sixers kind of just have – I don't want to – it's kind of hard to say, but I think, you know, the most extreme thing is to move on because their money is so tied up to, like, four guys. It's really hard to do anything else besides kind of release space and kind of get more assets for the future. But um, realistically, I don't know if that happens. And I think realistically they're – Ceiling with uh, uh, Embiid and Simmons kind of thing is, is a, a four seed and maybe a second round out, which is unfortunate to say. Um, a team that handled it way better and kind of took their lumps but grew players and didn't overpay guys was the Celtics. And I mean, when you're looking at these two teams that kind of came up at the same time, and, you know, in the mid part of the 2000s, we're seeing which team was kind of handled better. And you're kind of seeing the fallout of the Sixers who kind of did it the I don't want to say the wrong way, but. No, I I I think it's the wrong way. I don't think that by absolutely sucking and purposely losing every single year. They wasted so many picks. They wasted so many first-round picks. I I don't think that's the way to go about building your team. You do it by doing it what the Celtics did. Yeah, the Celtics Mm -hmm. had it a little bit easier where they could trade trade a Garnett. They could trade a Paul Pierce uh, to the Brooklyn Nets for a haul and start the rebuild that way. But (laughs) to be the Sixers and just lose for five, six years straight and then to think, okay, the flip is going to switch, and now we're going to be a dominant team. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah, I – you know, I was trying to be – I don't want to say nice, but I understand – I guess I can understand, you know, the thinking of uh, Elton Brand keeping, you know, Simmons and Embiid together because, you know, on paper they are all-stars and they do have great talent. But you this team around them – if you're going to have a guy like Simmons who is not a, a scorer in a conventional sense, he doesn't have a jump shot. He doesn't even take the shots. Like, he, you're you're limiting yourself to just being a team that is just paint-centric and plays good defense. But you don't have shooters. You don't have guys like the Bucks where it makes it viable when you have an absolute dominant guy like Giannis and you can dish it out. You don't even have a, a true guy that scores over 20 points in, in a good manner besides Joel Embiid. Um you know, Embiid played his ass off this series, and Embiid's going to do that when he feels challenged. But he has to take a step, too. It's one of those things where, like, they have to get the, you know, the things rolling. This is a complete failure, and they wasted the last 10 years. This whole thing was a bust if they don't get it together. Yeah, uh, I, <clears throat> I totally agree there. Um, with the with the Sixers, I mean, there was there's already been rumors about Joel Embiid to, um, what do you call it, to the Warriors or mm-hmm. having him go somewhere or, Whatever the case may be, Elton Brand already came out and said that we're not going to break up Embiid and Simmons. We're going to build around them. Hey, that's a good strategy to try for one more year, but how exactly are you going to build around them with no cap space? Exactly. You gave your money to Al Horford. You gave your money to Tobias Harris. Ben Simmons has money in Embiid. 
where exactly are you going to be able to do maneuvering? Because if I'm a team, I'm not taking out Al Horford's terrible contract. Nope. If I'm if I'm if I'm a contender, I'm not taking on Tobias Harris thirty million dollars a year for him to make what four threes in in the bubble. That's not something I'm doing. So where exactly is the construction coming different? Are you saying you're going to take a different philosophy with a new coach? Maybe spread out a little bit more. Maybe play Thibault more. Like I, I don't know where exactly they this change is going to come from. But hey, let's let's go ahead and see what uh, he's able to do there. And if he's able to go ahead and change. Um, if he's able to go ahead and change the system with a new coach, more power to him, more power to him. They have the talent to be a great team. It just hasn't come together yet, and maybe we'll see. Maybe we won't. But like I said, I'm done putting any type of expectations on the Sixers. I think next year the Wizards are going to be better than the Sixers. I think a, I think a lot I think a lot of teams are going to be better than the Sixers next year. Uh, to be completely honest, and we're gonna by the trade deadline we're going to be having uh, those Embiid uh, or Simmons type of trade talks. Um, moving on to there from that 3-6, our last series before we get out of here. Um, a clean sweep with mm-hmm. the Heat and the Pacers. And it sucked. I mean, the Pacers, you could just tell they d- didn't have the firepower. They didn't have the guys necessary to um, to stack up with the Miami Heat and the way they were playing. If you have a Sabonis, if you have Oladipo healthy, it's a different series. But they didn't. And the Miami Heat were able to take care of business here. Um, with the Pacers... On Inside the NBA yesterday, they asked a really good question. Where do they go from here? Like, you're stuck in a rut where you're almost like the Atlanta Hawks of uh, Mm -hmm. the early 2010s where you weren't able to really do anything um, in the sense that you were just just always good but not great and never going to the finals. Sabonis is a good player, like maybe borderline great player as an all-star. Victor Oladipo is a good player. Like, Miles Turner is a solid player. T.J. Warren's solid. But mm-hmm. you don't have that necessary superstar to take you over the hump. So, if you're the Pacers, what are you trying to do next season to get better? And it's kind of a hard thing to, like, you know, when you're in a position, it's almost impossible to kind of, like, predict what happens next because, I mean, what the Hawks kind of did was they kind of just rebooted it all. And it was it, it was weird because they went from, like, a 60-win team and that was amazing in the regular season and, and you know, put up a fight uh, in the playoffs to a team that two years later, three years later, they're drafting Trey Young. And, you know, they're trajecting that, you know, the trajectory is going that way again. But the Pacers, I think I think they have more talent than even those Hawks teams as far as top end. Um, you know, this is a team where there's three possible All-Stars. I mean, Markham Brogdon was in the All-Star combo. Uh, Sabonis was obviously an all-star. I don't know if they have them mixed up or not, but they were both in the all-star convo, and obviously you have Victor Oladipo, who is an all-star when healthy. Miles Turner is a perennial defensive player of the year candidate every year he plays. Um, And what you've seen, man, what you've seen out of this team just in general is just great. I mean, what you've seen out of T.J. Warren when he was healthy is something that you build on. It's a very important piece going forward. And this team isn't poorly constructed, but Honestly, and as great, you know, as great as Nate McMillan was and is, he might actually get the axe. And it's not one of those things where it's like he was a bad coach or he didn't do what he had to do because he's absolutely doing what he has to do. And I don't – he's not even a scapegoat in a sense, but you got to have somebody, I think, personally, like a fresher face in there to kind of change it up. Um, If I could think of a scenario, um, maybe the nuggets of the – early 2010s when they were putting, you know, great seasons back to back when they had guys like Kenneth Reed 
uh, Andre Iguodala and stuff like that. But it was something that kind of just held them back. And, you know, they fired their coach who just won coach of the year. And it was like, well, you know, why, why would you do that? But they get better coaching on the back end. A guy like Mike Malone comes in there. And now it's like, well, we're taking steps up. They're always going to be a decent team with this roster. But I think it just has to be an injection from a guy like a coach. A coach could be the one thing that changes everything. Look at the Warriors. This is an extreme example. But going from a guy, you know, from a guy like Mark Jackson, who he was the reason that team was like they were. But I don't know if they won a championship with Mark Jackson. But Steve Kerr comes in and he gets their mindset a little bit different. And maybe it's maturity and things like that. But they go on to start, you know, a dynasty. I think something like that has to happen for them to really take the next step. Because right now they're always going to be in that perennial three, four, five, six. And that's kind of being stuck in the rut, even in you know, the middle of the pack East. It's not a good place to be. So I think it's time for them to make a change. Uh, I love Nate McMillan. He'll be coaching elsewhere. Uh, and, you know, me just saying that, it's easier said than done. I don't know where the next coach is. But I think it's time to start, you know, having those talks internally. Um, I don't think the roster is really the issue. And maybe you can get some better bench guys going forward. And I think that's probably a clear thing because their bench played absolutely terrible, uh, you know, in that last game. But the starters also played the majority of minutes. That's, you know, neither here or there. But I think it's just time to start injecting new guys and maybe a new system into that roster. Yeah, I, I totally – I agree there. I agree there to a point. I, I don't think Nate McMillan is necessarily the problem versus mm-hmm. – Nate, Nate McMillan doesn't have the talent to to take his team to a next level, to a next step. Like, what? Wh- where exactly would the – where exactly would the Pacers, like, be able to get that guy to close out a game for them? Yeah, it was Oladipo in a sense, but mm-hmm. Oladipo was, it has never been considered, like, a closer type. So is it just going ahead and blowing up and starting all over again, like trading a Miles Turner, trying to get assets, trying to get picks? Because no matter how, no matter how good they want to be, they have to get a superstar if they want to be a next-level type of player. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to see – what they're able to do with their roster construction. I don't know what they plan on doing. And I don't yeah, think it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's going to be hard, especially in the East. That's just getting tougher and tougher each year. So it's going to be tough for them to uh, take that next step. But net uh, looking towards, looking towards uh, Miami, Miami was able to dominate completely four mm-hmm. games. Tyler Hero, Bam, uh, Gorin, Jimmy, just able to play amazing. Do you think that this was more of a – I want to say, do you think this was more of a the Pacers just didn't have as good of a roster, so they dominated, or did you think it was more Miami? On the other hand, is a very very well coached team and are going to be able to give this t- type of similar game to the Milwaukee Bucks, where the Bucks are not even going to be able to score 112, 115 points because their defense is just so stifling. Oh, it's absolutely, in my opinion, the Heat because I thought this series would go to seven because I, I thought the you know healthy and you know when the Pacers were playing at the best that they there's you know their styles kind of complement each other as far as on the court and they they would get games like that where we saw in the series where it's tight um it didn't necessarily go the Pacers way but the Heat their game is absolutely true and their method works um you know coach Spo is a guy who obviously he's been there he he is a, a coach that can take you to that next level but this roster and the way it's constructed they're like the perfect 3 and D team you're getting defense out of your best players Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler are going to play great defense. You're getting shooters. You know, even guys like Jay Crowder, he's, they're known for their defense wherever they've been. It's something that you can't really teach. You got guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero are pure sharpshooters. 
And, you know, Tyler Hero has a little bit more of an offensive game than Duncan Robinson. But Duncan Robinson, you can't leave him open. You have to collapse on him every time. Goran Dragic, he was an all-NBA guy once upon a time back with the Suns. But he still has that ability. He is still a true point guard at heart. Andre Iguodala is on this team just doing whatever he wants. He's playing clutch minutes, playing great defense. Even Derrick Jones is a high-energy guy. He might not show it on the stat sheet every night, but he matters. Kelly Olenek is another guy that's been there. Kendrick Nunn, who was in Rookie of the Year talks, has not even been playing that much. Like, this team is this team is legit, and I think what they bring to the table is not just a spoiler, but I think, and you know, maybe in the media, they might be favored to win this next series against the Bucs. Um, and I don't think that's too far of a stretch. They, Once again, they're a perfect matchup for a team like the Bucs, who rely on teams kind of to focus on Giannis, and they get open shots. Well, he can do both, and I really want to see this play out. Um, the one-seeding game, I don't know if that's necessarily indicative of what would happen, because the Bucs kind of got the best of the heat. But going forward, it's one of those things where it's like you kind of got to look back at the regular season games versus what they're going to do as far as, you know, playing Giannis, where you see an appearance from the wall, how will Bam play against them. These are all things that matter. But the heat game is legit, and they're one of those teams, a dark horse for the conference finals, I really believe in. I've been saying it this whole time. Yeah, I, I think the Heat – I think the Heat were really good in this series, but I do think that they're a tad at this point <clears> – <throat> overrated with mm-hmm. the fact that we saw what happened when the Bucks in that second half in the seeding game when they said, okay, we're going to start playing and we're going to take over. Granted, you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's without Jimmy and Gordon, so maybe they would have been able to stifle that. But I do think that the Pacers did not have enough talent where the Heat were able to suffocate them defensively, which I don't think they will have as much ease doing that against um, doing that against the Bucks, the Miami Heat are going to be a very real team, and this is going to be, I think, a hard-fought series. And if uh, the Bucks go through this series, they're going to have they're going to be tied going through this, facing either the Celtics or the Raptors. Even though most of this team, the Bucks didn't sweep, but every other series is a sweep in this series. They're going to be get, going to be very tired these next two rounds because these top four teams in the East are at a level where any one of those four could you could see come out, and you, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's crazy. I could mm-hmm. see any one of those these four teams remaining in the East come out and be like, yeah, of course, like it makes sense. Obviously, the Bucks are still the favorite to come out, but it's talent all across uh, the board. So I'll be interested to see uh, that matchup. We'll get more into analyzing Bucks versus Heat and all the other second round matchups once we finish up the first round. We'll do one more pod uh, for the first round once everything is finished up and uh, everything is wrapped up, and also preview uh, the second round in that next pod. But for Mike. And for Micah, we'll see you on the next time inside the bubble. Peace. Peace.